0: Okay, we welcome you to another episode of Learning Stories. This is a show where we profile a diverse set of learners from the 21st century. In each episode of this show, we interview and chat with a guest who has a story to share about how they acquired a set of unique skills and knowledge in a creative and innovative manner. In the process, we hope to uncover a new understanding of learning as conceptualized, imagined and narrated by the guest in our show. Today's guest is Kiran Reddy, Um, He's someone I've always admired for his ability um, to think about problems, you know, using a systems approach and also to think about the world around him in a very strategic uh, manner. Um, A little bit about Kiran before we jump into the conversation. Um, Kiran is a big proponent of pursuing voluntary nonprofit and for-profit engagements in parallel. He completed a law degree from the Symbiosis Law School in Pune from 2008 to 2013. He then began his career and for the last eight years, he has worked in the leadership development and grassroots capacity building space. Um, He's worked with several organizations in this period um, and we were fortunate to to work together on some of these projects and uh, uh, very early on with Students for Liberty, um, we had a close association there, but um, some of the organizations he's closely worked with are and also created and co-founded are Helm of Eight, Rise With Eyes, Lens Plate, um, Catalyst 2030, which is more of an initiative, um, the Head Start Network, Startup Grind. Um, currently, he's the founder and CEO of Helm of Eight, which works to empower purpose-driven individuals, organizations, and collectives across domains to enhance their impact potential. So there's a lot to unpack there. You know, I basically summarized 10 to 13 years of Kiran's work in the social impact space and in just a couple of lines. So Kiran, you know, in this particular talk, like apart from your ability to do systems thinking and strategic decisions and stuff like that, I think I've always admired your uh, personality as a learner. You know, you've always been curious. And I think some of our early conversations were about books and, um, you know, philosophy, And I think you were also part of a small group we had in Bombay where a couple of us would meet up and chat about different things. And there was a little Algonquin round table. But, you know, like before we jump into your projects and your education, you know, I, I wanted to start off with maybe giving you some time to talk about who Kiran was like, what Kiran was like before all of this started. You know, the Kiran growing up in Bombay, a young boy, What were some of the things you were curious about and um, yeah I want to understand we want to understand what you were like as a as a young person leading into university and and what were some of the things that you know uh, that you wanted to always explore and know more about
1: Mm, that's a loaded question because I think like when it comes to uh, when did the bulb go on it was like after college. Mm -hmm. So till then there was a lot of, uh, what do you say, me reacting to my reality through my uh, whatever association by birth, by school, by friends, by lack of social emotional learning and what all that entails when life faces conflict, right? Like there's no like safe space is something I found as an adult, Mm. and not so much as a child. Mm. So what does that does to me actually ended up that by the time I became aware enough to look after myself and to kind of unlearn, relearn and this whole uh, paradigm. uh, You could say like, by the time I became strong enough to look after myself, right, and be self sufficient in that sense. I was filled with a lot of anger um, that something somewhere somehow let me down Mm. but what that gave me in return is an unparalleled drive because I personally faced that in my childhood not to say my childhood was ridden with that it's just that there is a version of me that was extremely joyful could light up a space like you could just plug in and play a party like that kind of a youthful energy which mm-hmm. came out during play but the moment that got done when you go outside of play um, that part was not fun
2: hmm.
1: uh, books were an escape at that point I'd say um, it, it kind of was like honestly like before I had this awareness I was reading so much about self work and now that like there is awareness, and there are tools, and there is practice, and there's so much more, um, that has become more curated, that's become a little more defined, but I used to read a lot more of Tati, as I call it, uh, growing up, because it was all like, you know, really easy, like if you say Robin Sharma gave me enlightenment, then like, you know, there's something wrong with either my understanding of Robin Sharma or that word enlightenment, mm. because it's not something that like learning is not just to one face. And for that, the only way is self-awareness. Yep. And and that entails, because that's the only thing in your control, right? Yeah.
0: That's, that's very powerful, Kiran. You know, I think um, realizing that there are certain things that didn't work for you at a young age and trying to, you know, fix those things are, is also a very important part of growing up and understanding your identity. Because I think at the core of, you know, what you want to do eventually and what you want to learn is also that um, self-identity that is constantly evolving from a very young age. You know, like I'm thinking about the influence of your parents and your teachers at that point, you know, like, like what, would you, what did your parents do? And was there a subject or a teacher at school that, you know, piqued your interest in some sort of way, or you felt like that was some s- different in, in, in a positive way, if, if I could say see, that. See, the
1: problem is that, like, I can, not problem, but the situation is that in retrospect, you can see this, but mm. while coming up, while doing it, this was not an awareness that I carried. So it's not necessarily fair assessment that this was the way Kiran went. Mm. Because the way Kiran went was in default, was Mm -hmm. in reaction to stimulus. And you could say fate and luck and whatever you want to call it. I ended up where I was. Um, And at the end, it's basically destiny's hand, right? Mm. Um, That shaped um, where I went and who I met and how I stayed connected and what influenced me. I was actually very fascinated by philosophy. But can you believe it? Before I went to law school, I didn't know that what liberal arts was, mm. like, my 11th and 12th was science, despite having scored really low in science, I was actually meant to be in the arts, or maybe even commerce for that matter. Mm. The degree I chose was legal and uh, business, right, like BBLLB. But um the reason why I ended up actually managing to get into law was because my uncle said, you love arguing, so you should go to law. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, there's no grand design like of, of yeah. like engineering your life. I mean, there are people who do that. I've met them and I think they're prodigies and they're great. Um, I'm not that. Mm. I'm not the academic benchmark ideal student. I'm more of the renegade aloof, the one who... Who decided to move away from the herd. If you say that, what is the norm? um, I have deviated considerably from the norm, the moment I got my freedom back after education, Mm. because I had never exercised that freedom or choice in a realistic Mm. manner. But law was where I felt the most connected with my subject areas. But it happened not by my own design, it happened by a fluke. Uh, you
0: know the matka as we call it but then what what were what were those five years like Kieran? like you know like i mean at, at a personal level what did learning law teach you about being human you know and that's and how did that influence your thinking and decision making um right after but you know what was what a, were those, yeah what were those five years like for you it was what
1: I exposed of
0: what I got exposed
1: to in life outside of law school. I don't think that those books can really give you the awareness that you seek in terms of how do you apply yourself in the real world. Mm. And it's not those internships that really like with, with corporate law firms because typically the university I went to uh, caters to corporate law mm. and not to systems change, mm. not to entrepreneurship, not to questioning the system. Hmm. Um, maybe to some extent in litigation, some people have done some good work, some went to international law, but the college is a platform. Hmm. Um it's unfair to blame the college in any way, it's unfair to blame the student alone in any way. It's the way this engagement is designed, right? Yeah. Um and and it's the way the system is 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 placed. Hmm. I discovered these in my extracurriculars. It was all the optional stuff that I was more interested in. Like, what was primary for me was actually what was optional for me. And people. what were some because, optional things? Like debates. Um, I think I really enjoyed debates. I really enjoyed the um, money. I really enjoyed extempore. I enjoyed public speaking platform opportunities. Um, I enjoyed... Um, applying for challenges or competitions doing treasure hunts being curious on this kind of stuff Um, I was interested uh, without knowing I was how deeply interested that I was like my college didn't afford me to go to civil society in Pune Pune as a like my love story and right now I'm in Pune I'm like two, uh, two kilometers from where my college was where I was five years but when I left law school I wanted to run the away from Puna, like get to the furthest away and like I went back to Mumbai.
2: Mm.
1: Now funnily life has reconnected me back to Pune through the work that I'm doing, yeah. which we'll have some opportunity to get into. Yeah. And I really discovered Pune for the first time. Mm. Like the depth of Pune, the Maratha intelligentsia, the culture, the connect with nature the the kind of social development work that Pune accelerates for Maharashtra. Mm. Right? You can say Mumbai finances things, but Pune actually is a hotbed of the heart of Maharashtra, mm. the Maratha entrepreneurs, the Maratha intelligentsia. And yeah, like I mean, this was not something I was exposed to in law school, mm. even though the institution has that because there's no access in this platform or rather my own interest, like I had no awareness, right? Like how can, when you're going through the system, you have like two years of opportunities, but if you don't hold the awareness in that system of what and how you can leverage that system.
0: Mm-hmm. You don't totally. Yep. Yeah. And you know, I like, because I've observed you over the years, Kiran, you know, I've known you for what, like, I think a little less than a decade now, I think 2013, 2014 was probably when we met and that was probably an interesting phase in your life and in my life as well. You know, both of us were figuring things out and, you know. Back when you had glasses. (laughs) When I had, yeah, that's, yeah, that's so long back in the day. And I'm just curious about, you know, Kiran, what were those first years out of university like for you? And what were you seeking in terms of um, information, knowledge, uh, mentors, and and professional opportunities, you know, as a law graduate, because I know very early on you had, you were mindful of uh, this uh, notion of not only thinking about business opportunities in a very capitalistic sense, you know, you were very holistic in terms of understanding how business and social impact intersect at, at a point and how you can use business to actually push forward social goals. And I know a lot of your work currently with the Catalyst Foundation is related to the UN SDG goals. And, you know, I I know Helm of Eight is also doing some wonderful work with various organizations on the ground, but right out of university, what was Kiran sort of looking for? And and how did that thinking around, um, you know, social impact um, develop there with those first professional um, engagements and also policy for that matter, because I know Uh, The Center for Civil Society and Students for Liberty were other organizations in your life at that point. So right.
1: So I think I was in my final year of law school, just wrapping up my fifth year, ninth, tenth semester November, I came across this public policy leadership program. And Mm I've not really attended too much of that. And um, I showed up, it was in Bombay, and it was an eye-opener it was kind of like a schooling of the caveman. I was a hard left guy. Like I was hard socialist. Mm -hmm. Like my heart went out for like inequality status and like, you know, the kind of privileges that exist and like being conscious of privilege. This was that kind of space. And here comes an organization that says that this is a design problem. Mm. And this is a stakeholder analysis, like that word stakeholder analysis given my also predisposition to mind in predisposition to each other. Mm. Machines have to be taught that Mm. by a human being, have to be programmed that by a human being but you're talking about awareness, about situational awareness, physical awareness, like you know your emotional awareness, your Mm intellectual progress and how far your intellect has progressed and awareness of what you don't know, like, you know, the known unknown, uh, uh, what do you say, it's like, basically, this is known, this is known, unknown, then there is the known, known, unknown, and then unknown, unknown, the unknown, unknown paradigm that what I'm completely in my blind side, Hmm. is the challenge,
2: Hmm.
1: ignorance, is like the ocean, and knowledge is like a boat. Mm. right? If you think the boat is the ocean, then there's a problem, because mm. that's arrogance. right? And the 20s is when you'll face this surge of like, you know, I want to assert myself, I want recognition, I want validation, I want like an opportunity to test and prove myself. That was mm-hmm. 20s. Teens mm-hmm. was like, you know, hormonal locha. Like, just don't judge yourself when you were fifteen. Um, I think it does shape like how you become as an adult. I think just un- unknowingly, knowingly toxic or positive habits you may pick up, depending on which side of the balance you come out on. Mm-hmm. It's better to spend some time introspecting. Uh, so I was introspecting when I was coming out of that. And I wanted something that gave me freedom, Hmm. agency. Hmm. I didn't have agency in college, whatever agency I was exercising was in revolt or rebellion, or in kind of offshooting from college. I have to give these exams and achieve these marks and have this much attendance, I'll game this system. And I will go ahead and I will pursue all my extracurriculars while I'm dancing between term not granted and between 16-18 exams every semester. Wow. Hmm. It was a dance. I think like it, it basically I was like I don't want to lose a year hmm. and there was this entire limit that you have and I was literally on the limit <laughs> every year as I transitioned. And it really just like, you know, shifted my perspective that I wanted to leverage my position in mm. that model. And that's where I pushed myself to explore. 2010 was when I went to London for two months, I went mm. to a summer school, I got exposed to international law, I came back and I realized that I can't pursue international law. What it did teach me was that the moment you have a camera mm. na, to an Indian politician's face, And that camera is like a BBC, or like, you know, an international media agency, they have to behave themselves. Mm. They have to speak a different tone. When you have a domestic camera, they will speak a different tone, and then it's so on and progresses. But like, it's basically civil society is like you are being oppressed by the system in your location. But there are other people in other parts. What pressure that creates or what will people say Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or what will people think is a very powerful thing.
0: And that's what you figured out from international. That's
1: what I learned in 2010. That's Mm. what I learned in 2010. And that was also the first time I was asked for my opinion. Now I'm not saying every education institution is like the one that I I think there are many conscious models that I have discovered Mm. growing up that like I wish i had gone to school here, college here, university here, did these things, but I know it now because I've become aware of the whole system. Mm. But before, like alternative models, Mm. you know, positive boarding experiences, um, different kinds of pedagogies and methodologies. Mm. And like, place where emphasis was given to social emotional learning over academic, arithmetic, geography and language and just like, you know, basic stuff, foundational stuff.
0: Like that's an interesting tangent to, you know, go down Kiran, like in terms of those pedagogies, because I know at that point in your life, you were really exploring um, alternate ways to educate yourself and about different disciplines, you know, you were interested in politics and psychology in, um, in human resource development. So how did you design your learning environment for yourself without those restrictions of the formal system? You know, like what were some of the, I mean, I, I know internships and um, fellowships are something that you have really uh, taken, you know, made uh, good use of. You, you've done some fellowships over the years, but what are some other Not alternatives? Really. No, okay. Like, even
1: that's the thing. Like, I think I've crafted my own fellowship experience. And what is that? I've crafted my own path. So I mean, it basically means showing up into a reality, hmm. being an observer, taking some skill set that you have. My skill set now when I graduated, uh, it was 2013. Yep. I had by this time gotten exposed to public policy and leadership and some amount of this civil society. The only internships I did was the nonprofit ones I did because my course demanded that I go do a corporate internship. So I went and I spent a month there. Hmm. It's just, it's more in the chai sutta lounge and like having, you know, bakwas conversation. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's the quality, right? Like when you say internship, you expect a certain standard, but we all have different vocabulary, understanding experiences of those words. Yeah. Right? So in 2013, when SFL, I got introduced to at a conference, I saw it as an opportunity, which could run in parallel to my life. It would have been great to have SFL in college, but I discovered it as I was leaving college, and they were okay
0: with me being a youth leader instead of a student leader. Got it. And just for the and I could that don't know what yeah. SFL is, Kiran, could you like give them a brief, brief so description? So of Students
1: that? for Liberty was this is this organization based out of Washington D.C. that provides a platform for students to engage an alternative thought process to the mainstream. Now, everyone has heard of the word, the value system of being liberal, mm. right? So liberal comes from the word liberty. And liberty is directly linked with freedom.
2: Mm.
1: And in my opinion, responsibility.
2: Mm.
1: And your entire co-relationship, your civic relationship, you did not sign the constitution, but you're bound by the land which you're born to the laws of the land and the system right? You expect a certain thing from the system and the system expects you to perform a certain role and there is taxation. Mm. This responsibility is very shittily managed mm. through your childhood because you are a dependent. True. So once you start gaining that awareness, why should I be restricted in terms of what I can do in my life, by an external entity. Hmm. So this is the, this is the fundamental political science and philosophical base of where law comes from. Like, I mean, there is the divine right and like, you know, how humankind went from being hunter gatherers, to feudal societies to now, uh, I don't even know what to call us. Uh, it's, It's a scary Diversity, scary amount of diversity, not a scary divergence, but like today, what are we? We are in post growth. Hmm. Like today, the future is already here, just disproportionately distributed. Hmm. Right. So in 2013, the moment I had my freedom, I looked at Students for Liberty as an ideological base that if you want to do some good, you need to know why. Sure. Why should I care about the planet? Why should I care about my fellow human being? Hmm. And that's where the the Students for Liberty ideology base kind of helped me because socialism was welfare, but it's like welfare at the cost of your future. You're huh? borrowing from your future, spending it today. That's yes. economics, but economics exists with politics. So political economics. And political economists typically in mainstream speak of left and right. Mm. Are you economically uh, free to do what you want? Are you socially free to do what you want? So the liberal viewpoint was kind of the north, the ultimate freedom, and towards the top of that is evolved anarchy, right? So that's a theoretically beautiful journey to mm. go through, but practically, you will see all your change makers are liberals those who stood up for other people's rights are people who had liberal views people who would respect your right to speak even if they didn't agree with you correct the spirit of debate and discussion happens here today you have an ultra right fascism yep and an ultra left naxalism and like you know uh, your dalit movement or oppressed basically galvanizing for their rights and here you have religion churning the engines and different countries are like basically these levers are pulling you apart yeah. using social media yeah so sfl was this base where students could explore a safe space to mm-hmm. discuss ideas to discuss how society is to discuss what economics is and do you and your world views were shaped mm-hmm. in a way but again, it was limited to physical reality, mm. philosophy, political science, both with regards to that and to some extent, personal philosophy that comes from it, but spiritually agnostic or atheist. Mm. And I was a spiritual. Act. So in parallel, my voluntary work with Students for Liberty started becoming non-profit work with students for liberty mm. but they gave me a badge that allowed me to go engage with anyone with an identity and that was the first time i was leveraging a title or an identity i mean i was i've been in leadership positions in school like you know ma- monitor or like you know house cap uh, i've had that streak of leadership
2: mm-hmm. which
1: got further enhanced and i was now going into university and learning environments and engaging with students on these ideas learning it myself and then talking it to them. And that's where my activism started, Hmm. being more canvassed and explored because I felt that if you really want to make a difference, there needs to be a political ideology that is different and which is also represented on the ballot. But socialism is written into your constitution.
0: Yep. Right. I mean, you did a great job explaining the spectrum of political ideologies, and just in terms of that window. And I think a lot of young people are also struggling or, you know, exploring that identity politically. And it's really important to educate yourself, but also engage in uh, positive discussion and debate about these different points of views, you know? And I think that is uh, something that came naturally to your personality, but it also benefited you in the sense that you were always uh, able to understand how different people had these political views or these uh, these views about you know the way the system worked and how that influences their work on a day to day basis and because all of us exist in countries and political systems so these systems will have an impact on your thinking as a professional or as an individual so I think highlighting that sort of relationship was was really well done in terms of how you explained your thinking there Kiran you know and.
1: Yeah, go ahead. So at that point, there was also my encounter with my now uh, late mentor, Linesh Shade. you mm. uh, You've met Nanaji. Who I have uh, met. It's so, just a wonderful So together, we worked on something called School of Internal Literacy, mm-hmm. which was kind of a formalization or a documentation that happened of his legacy of discoveries and work. Mm-hmm. Um, A lot of inner work that he had done and what it means is that human resource was defined by six movements. You had movement of thoughts, movement of your emotions, movement of your body, movement of your breath, then movement of images. Images is a construct of thoughts and emotions. Like, you know, when I say pizza, you will think of something. When I say Disneyland, you will think of something. That's imagery. Mm. and that's your imagination
2: right?
1: mm. and like the last one is energy now people understand emotion but they are skeptical about energy mm. emotion is nothing but energy in motion mm. right like so <laughs> See, these are like you know really, really beautiful very beautiful very simple and very profound thoughts um, produce and attract actions, repeated thoughts produce and attract repeated actions, thoughts produced with faith, attract the most powerful actions. Mm. So you can do your workout, you can do it with awareness, and you can do it with further evolved attached meaning. Mm. And that's, that's practice like inner work practice, meditation, asanas, your physical and Like that, that it's a it's a blend of the six movements that I mentioned. Hmm. All your practices in spirituality, and they are all different schools with different. Like, if you want to understand a school, understand their breathing technology and their breathing patterns.
0: So, what was was it like for soil, for instance? Like, what were some of the? So, soil was eclectic. Soil was eclectic. This is a download of forty
1: years of experience of a gentleman who was very kind and very simple and a householder who would explain me his life's journey and his works and he would be like knowledge is important if not practiced so mm-hmm. intellectual lethargy is the reason why I think many people like I'm actually sugarcoating it's intellectual masturbation mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they're adults here, yeah. so That is without practice a waste, Hmm. because theoretically, you can solve every problem and every problem has been solved theoretically. Okay, maybe not all the scientific ones, but like, for the most part in on paper, that's what I mean by theory on paper, I can make anything, but that does not manifest. Hmm. Manifestation is most key. Because that is where the proof of the pudding is. Sure. You will know how real or how valid was that thought and your drive to manifest it. Yeah. And SFL gave me that opportunity and platform to manifest a group, mm. manifest an event, manifest things by coordinating. So I was a, like, coordination is perhaps the single most important skill that a human being can learn because it helps you connect the dots. Yep. it helps you understand so many people's realities and I'm a, I'm a master coordinator today. Like I just coordinate now that has another layer, it's called consulting it has another layer, it's called facilitation it's called another layer called community building these are all intents mm-hmm. there is only me and me as a person right? so to manifest was Something that my early fire, my early kindle of that fire happened in SFL. Spirituality oh. gave me a why. kept me centered in myself. Mm. And then student entrepreneurship was how we met. Mm-hmm. So then student entrepreneurship happened separate from this because like, I want to earn money. I don't want to listen to anyone. Yep.
0: I don't want to boss
1: over my head. Or yep. even if I go into an environment, I don't want to be bound and restricted ki you be in your place, you are not in the hierarchy, you fall in line. Mm. I think that was a fundamental problem of culture. That I if I had an access to a good positive culture environment, and they do exist, yeah. I perhaps didn't access that. Mm. I would have been maybe on a little less risk-averse path. Sure. Right. But yep. for someone to to explain the game, like everyone's a player, man, everyone's playing a game. Yeah. Right. So
0: which side of that table are you on and what's the angle that you're working on? And that's um, I mean, that's that's such an important question to answer. right? And I think, you know, a lot of us jump into opportunities without realizing the, um, the systems that those opportunities exist in. You know, we just go with the flow saying that we want to be part of this particular organization. But then what problem is this organization trying to solve? Is that something that you are connected with on a systems level, right? And, and that is something that you are not able to see when you are a lot younger because you are just trying to access every opportunity that falls in your plate. But I feel that pruning that you did in the first two or three years, you know, that pruning of understanding the identities that really matter to you, that understanding the kind of life you want to design you know, it was very conscious designing of a career and a life for you. And I think a lot of young people don't really take that time out from their, you know, path to actually prune their thinking and their opinions about different subjects into possible action pathways. Now, you know, after that two to three year period, you know, I know you went, you went along and I think that's been a sig, like a signifying characteristic of your life is doing, you know, for-profit, voluntary, and profit-related engagements in parallel? Because right after that, you jumped into an organization called Vertice and you co-founded, like, that studio, which was a design studio, and you can tell us more about that. You were also associated with Lensplate. I think these were part of your for-profit. Honestly, this, that was a phase
1: where I think I was hungry for validation. I was hungry to do things. Sure. (laughs) Like, by that time, I had not started something in which my equity ownership and presence was this was around twenty fifteen. Mm. Um, and I found an opportunity with someone whom I thought I connected with, and we uh, that person came from an advertising marketing world. but um I didn't do a risk analysis. I mm. didn't have an understanding of what. I was doing. I mean, why the hell would I venture into marketing and design and communications? I mean, yes, I was spending a lot of time with people and I was fairly g- decent at communications, but I was not skilled from an advertising, marketing, content, tech, like arts, like I mean, this whole whole thing was so new. Yeah.
2: yeah. But I
1: thought that I could figure it out by give it a being, shot, right? by giving it a shot, and we did and it was just built on everything wrong. The fundamentals, the starting, the genesis, the moment of time that it was but it was also a smoke screen because I didn't know how to manifest what is now called Helm of Eight. Sure. I wanted to do something that was kind of birthed for this reality in this time and not built on an old paradigm because the problems that we face today and we are going to face 10 years down the line that have their roots today or 20 years down the line have their roots today. I want to be able to solve for that. I want to have a horizon that is in my lifetime. By the time I'm in my 40s, I should be at the prime of my problem solving, right? Like I took that horizon, not many people have that privilege, Mm. to be able to say that, I don't have to go worry about a career, I don't have to worry about competition, I don't have to worry about, like, that privilege is afforded to me by my reality. Sure, And it's, and I do my fair bit to ensure that that privilege remains and that I continue to pursue this life. But it before I thought what it was just an abstract idea mm. can exist because I like just do one thing and I also like had the urge of this friction you would face in life between being, like I just want mm. and I just want like this organizations and what that looks like Within communities, what that looks like, self, what, relation, sure. what that looks like, hmm. I, right, and it can get it, It's it's a very deep insight, hmm. like which we'll unpack maybe on a future date yeah. uh, with much more depth. But for today. There was that whole thing that initially I just wanted to be. Yeah, then I started doing. Then I started being less with myself, and I started doing more.
2: Nice. And
1: that's when rhizotists came. Mm. So basically, my my inner work was now manifesting into my reality, like it was rewoven into my lifestyle. Like instead of meditating three hours, I'm now being mindful, I'm checking in with myself a lot of different um, leadership interventions and learning interventions that I participated in, Mm. and a wide array of communities is like, okay, this is working, this is not working, like taking a very experimental approach that there is no, nothing is like set and solved. Everything is an experiment. So everything is up for questions. Mm. And anywhere that my curiosity is not welcome, I don't feel myself welcome. Mm. So then to withdraw from those areas, to understand power dynamics in a room, on table, in a conversation, it's very vital to navigate and understand whether, whether I can add value to
0: this or
1: not. If not, then why am I there?
0: But yeah, you were, you were actually brave enough to actually explore the opportunity, even though there was that uncertainty, you know, with regards to, you know, actual value creation or your background. And I think, a lot of us tie ourselves to brackets. You know, we say that we have done this educationally, so we must do this professionally. But you were I, mean, I think you were open enough to say that there are a set of skills here that I can that I'm interested in and maybe I can add value if I learn more about this going ahead. And I feel like you were also engaging with that opportunity to um, you know, make this part of your repertoire in terms of your systems thinking. Um, sort of um, model, you know, Kiran, because I feel like you, with that early experience with SFL and you know policy making, and even with Soil, you know, you had slowly developed a foundational thinking approach that had these various parameters, and now you were really ready intellectually and professionally to jump into, you know, um, some sort of professional engagement. I know Rise I is manifested in that sort of space but helm of fate was the real you know uh, like intellectual sort of process and professional engagement that you really felt strongly about and i know an early conversation we had over the phone where you were talking about this this world and i think you had just manifested it then and now it's like such a beautiful organization so you know like i i want to be mindful of time as well i know you have an engagement so the last three questions i was thinking you know, we can look at helm Helm of Eight, and I was looking through the Helm of Eight website, and I know you work with organizations like Borderless Without uh, Foundations, World Foundation, w- Borderless World Foundation. World, first, first, first. In timeline, I think we've covered about twenty fifteen twenty seven.
1: True, and present reality is a lot more sustainable.
0: So, so we we can ourselves about half an hour. You do have half Kiran, is that good? Perfect. Also, Kiran, I think there's a little bit of a, like an audio lag. I just want to see if we can, like, I'm able to hear you, but it's just a little scratchy. And while Kiran's, you know, just uh, fixing that, what I will be doing at the end of this chat is I will be linking... Uh, Kiran's organization's website and uh, websites to other talks and articles that Kiran has written or worked on in the show notes. So I'd highly recommend following this conversation up with an investigation of those resources. Um, Hopefully we'll get some books and films that, you know, have um, influenced Kiran's thinking in that uh, sort of section as well. But but yeah, Kiran, I think, you know, we have half an hour, right. and I want you to sort yeah. of paint that picture. Because again, what so, we're trying to do, in addition to talking about your life is to create a visual sort of archive of your thinking right now, right, Kiran? So, you sure. know, go ahead.
1: So the time was about 2015, 2017, where basically Rise With Eyes, and a year later, Helm of Fate came about. And um, Helm of Fate started with taking looking at a physical space and trying to manifest it in a physical space and uh, that worked out a shit show for my first company and the first two partners left and I pretty much ran an agency by myself for a year before handing over the reins to someone else who ran it for a year then seeing it dormant for a year and then now basically it's defunct. so try, try is out of question. Mm. Helm of Eight coming down to it the physical space we did a community center approach we did Uh, part incubation part co-working and part event community space and we managed to we managed to manifest a beautiful experience like we did about 80 odd events there Uh, we managed to do an event outside we started to do convenings outside and we realized that events burns us out and I've been doing events for donkey years and what I was most interested was the pivot that went to consulting. Mm. So then from there, based on the social capital and the understanding, by this time, I had graduated from student entrepreneurship to general entrepreneurship. I joined Startup Grind Mm. after I left Students for Liberty in 2015 and uh, I started focusing less on activism and more on entrepreneurship Mm. and even by general entrepreneurship because social entrepreneurship as a word had not yet caught on. Mm-hmm. and the mainstream was not ready and it was very small silo today you can hear impact entrepreneurship a little more profoundly than when you could 5 years back mm-hmm. or 6 years back so i've worked in the trenches there i've worked in the back channels there i've connected with many of these incubators accelerators and like community folks and i just love like when you go to an event now look for the organizer <laughs> look think, for the people who are I, actually coordinating
0: I think, because i think we we went together on a couple of those meetings too you know early on i think yeah, i remember yeah. you taking me to a lot of these meetings and events and i always yeah. love coming with you so yeah.
1: so then you get the keys of the castle you know you get to see what that reality is and i'm literally i show up and i was like how can i help you? Mm. like i'm one of those like you know guests who will actually help you serve the table right Like it's that being host and being hospitable actually puts you in a position where you're able to get a sense of whoever's in the room without really going into the depth of like a conversation with each of them. Like you Mm -hmm. can choose to be a butterfly or you can choose to linger on that. So it depends. And working a room and leveraging and all of these were skills which I picked up along the way. And there is just like you you learn the craft of that. Yeah. Um, and if you're like moderately also smart and charming, you'll be able to work your way in that mm. so twenty seventeen was when uh Helm started and then Helm's first pivot happened in twenty eighteen and there was a lot of life crisis because that real estate cost a lot of money, and the marketing agency also so it's basically setback after setback mm. and I'm just like, no, I need to manifest this. What am I manifesting legacies? I have received. In my funnel, legacies and awareness, there's a word that you missed, Abhishek, over the years, which I've been exploring, which is ecosystem. Mm. How things don't exist in isolation, but in correlation with the people, with the community, with the investment, finances, operations, knowledge, inspirations, like I mean the 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 the, the bind that holds the whole together, right? Mm. And The ecosystem that I got exposed to with SFL was Atlas Network and the think tank world. So Mm. where one organization is funding 570 plus public uh, policy think tanks around the world. Wow. Mm. I didn't know that. The Liberty Movement had funding about $1 billion Mm. internationally, right? so that's an ecosystem then you have the non-profit ecosystems in india you have startup ecosystems in india yeah. it's about a group of interlinked interrelated players true, right? true. who coexist yep. together yeah that's the stakeholder analysis bit which i learned in 2013 which has been extrapolated to understanding the practical realities these are ecosystem mm. right now within that logic I started mapping so many different realities that everything you tell me now I'll think about it from stakeholder point of view hmm. you tell me family I will think about like you tell me something and I'll think about home then like home is family family and building and building is neighborhood and neighborhood is in this your, city your and your mind city map is in gets activated state. right
0: in your head <laughs>
1: so um, with Helm of Eight, when we started going into consulting, again, it started with events, Red Bull gave us a break. I launched myself in Bangalore with one property and uh, we convened an event in Bangalore. And some of these event adventures, like some of the conferences that we've done, etc. I mean, they're like, they're they like, you know, probably contributed to one or two of these lines and circles, you know, one in right. the way, because we just push ourselves so hard. Yes. in that short span of time and make it manifest and happen and then like you let it go
0: it's let so hard many I, I know you did the uh, an event with the RA colony with regards to um how things were you know uh, like the metro coming up there and you organized like a community event there but so many other I mean 80 events uh, like it's it's not really easy and I but I feel like your passion for community building also you know, was sort of implemented in those in that sort of period, if not, and it's hard because it's not always remunerated, right? You are a professional making a living and people think that this is just the service you can do for free. And I think Helm of Eight gave you an opportunity to channelize your community building with, um, you know, a more organizational mandate because, yeah, sorry, I I was just, I just wanted to put that in there.
1: So the name Helm, why Helm, and in fact, why my name also has why Brandy to it today, these are all retrospect logics, right? But Helm when it started was like, Helm is the steering apparatus. Like you are at that thing where that rudder, you know, you can give yourself direction. That is what a Helm is. What is the Helm of the moment of your life, of work? Of the relationship, of the conversation, of anything. All your responsibilities is you at the helm and whether you're ready for it or not. Mm. Because life is all of it at once, Mm. right? Like you're at the helm of your life. So I wanted Helm to be like that, like an emulation of that. Okay. And I didn't want to be in one faction or another.
2: Okay.
1: I wanted it to be that. If that moment requires me to talk to somebody, I will talk to somebody. Mm. If it requires me to learn a skill, I will learn a skill, or I will find someone with the skill. Mm. If it re- whatever that moment requires me, the helm of that moment requires me to do something. I'm not going to be like mere scope ke hai. Mm. it's it's uh, outside my syllabus. Sure. It's not in my you know question book log. Yeah, because it's reality. You're talking to an NGO. NGO is working with community. Community has needs. Do you have the potential to make it happen?
2: Yeah. Or
1: do you know someone who does? Yeah. And if it doesn't exist, then what's going to happen to the community? Like COVID. Lacks of people displaced. Yeah, No livelihood. Beaten if they got out of their house. Yeah. Oceans of them faceless people who serve society were walking, right? The system failed them. Yeah. I wished to do something about it. I cried. I genuinely cried when I saw that. Hmm. And I was like, what can I do? And I felt so disempowered. And I don't ever want to feel that way. If I truly want to say that I'm manifesting and I'm being aware, I want to be in a position where I can make a difference. And it's not just philanthropy, it's yeah. not just doing charity. Yeah. They don't want my damn handout. They want a job. They should, they wanted to be allowed to, to do a job so that they could earn and then buy and live.
2: Yeah. They
1: don't want a handout, they want yeah. their dignity, right? So, in those contexts, Helm of Eight was meant to look at it from arts, culture, holistic living human resource development, design technology, design technology, which I learned because of the agency and Mm. that life. Mm. Um, So arts, culture, holistic living, human resource development, design technology, civic engagement, social enterprise, and civic action, Mm. I think. Sorry, it's been a while since I've narrated all of them. But uh, each of them has a nuance that Helm would exist in every context of the matter, whether it is interdimensional, like within the organization or extra dimensional, like with regards to how they relate with the world, Mm -hmm. when it comes to the culture, the processes, the human resource development, the pedagogy, whatever you want to call it, like like operations, accounts, uh, project management, your branding communications, the whole shebang, because the problem could be a myriad of things like development experiments, ask any experimenter, they will tell you our theory of change, the- TOC as it's called, will include creating an environment. Hmm. In the environment, the actors are inspired and supported and empowered to take decisions for themselves and act on it themselves and transform their lives themselves hmm. instead of giving them a handout true yeah helm of it was giving that environment creating that proxy environment helping you cross over that obstacle maybe helping you understand best practices of that model from some alternate model yeah. what do you truly need a good advisor at the helm you need a good first man mm. to execute the work that you're talking about and you need a sound captain who is not riddled by anxiety and will drive the ship into the rocks
0: or like, you know, break it or whatever. Yeah. And you have to... I think you, you know, Kiran, because the individual that is engaged with a particular organization is so involved in solving that problem that often the time and the opportunity to engage with other bodies, you know, trying to address the same problem is not always available. And that's where I think it's important for you know, some support in that sense at different stages, because there may be another organization in um, Hyderabad that is solving the same problem that an organization in Pune is solving in terms of the larger social impact, which is that triple bottom line of people, uh, planet and profit. So what can this organization learn from what that organization is doing in, in these two contexts? And I think Helm of Fate became that body because, you know, there is so much conversation around creating this network in the startup space, you know, and and I've noticed that because I was in India for such a long time. And I think there was a gap in terms of those conversations happening in the social impact space. Uh, There were organizations doing it, but I know that your approach to creating and solving that gap is very innovative and unique in that sense. And I was looking through the list of organizations you have And they're all working in varied spaces, but they're all also spread out across the country, right, Kiran? And that's really amazing that you were able to look at these six areas that you mentioned with Helm of Eight and be so flexible with the kind of uh, services you provided to each organization. Because based on their context, I feel the consulting advice you had to provide would be very different. Right, and you'd have to so tap there's,
1: into this. There's, there's another dimension here. The reason why I don't like to use the word management consultant or any of these loosely industry associated words is like it reminds me of Prakash uh, Bhushan, who Prashant Kishore, sorry, who basically uh says, I'm not a political analyst, but like the world or political strategist, but that's how the world. Has described the work that I do, so I use it, but I don't just do that. Yeah. Right? Like it's for it's for conversational sake that I say I'm a management consultant. Sure. Because I'm interested in evolving that model. Mm. What the work that I like to do is somewhat like taking raw potential or taking some latent potential and then manifesting. Than activating it or Hmm. helping it achieve its potential, right? Like, and what that entails is transformative. Hmm. It's about imbibing, shifting culture, shifting behavior. Like, you can't even like someone who was driven by anger or rage is now operating on love and compassion. How are you going to measure it? Hmm. It's very difficult and also very detailed, but personal, because usually personal professional boundaries in the impact space are not very clear. Yeah. And those yeah. that are, are typically doing it from an enterprise point of view, which is fine. But it's not going to have the deep empathy that requires you to say that I will not take profits in this model, I will give these profits to the community and I will empower them. Mm. How many people will say no to that? And why? Yeah. Unless and until your value system is informed by a personal experience or a personal tragedy or like some kind of deep-rooted uh you know feeling or desire. Mm. That passion that it evokes cannot be masked. Sure. Yeah. But you can have the passion, but not the skill set. Yeah. You can have the passion, but not the manifestation associated. That's sure. where I look for the passion, yeah. the essence, the root essence is the drive Got it. and your willingness to do whatever it takes to make that model succeed yeah. ethically, of course, but without compromising on your values and principles, but somewhere to shift the, the one degree change on a periodic basis to actually come towards the yardstick and the measure and the excellence.
2: Sure. Yep.
1: And I've started learning to do it more effectively. Different people approach and respond with different styles. Mm. And language, culture, so much, so so diverse. Yeah. Like different people understand differently. Like if I were having the same conversation in Hindi, qualitatively, Abhishek, yeah. it's a very different thing. Because English is a very intellectual language for me.
2: Mm. It's how
1: my brain... Thinks about things, sure. but if you ask me in the realm of feelings, I'm Hindi. When I speak in Hindi, my emotions are very clear to me. Mm. When I speak in Hindi, so this this bridge also helps me talk to and work with me. Um, but anyways, moving past uh, yeah, where is, I, Helm is today, like,
0: like you know, I, I'd I, love to know about one or two organizations that you worked with and how you. You know, use the Helm of Fate model to support their work on the ground, Karen. Because that'll be really um, interesting for other people that want to engage with Helm of Fate at a professional level that are watching this video. You know, like sure. that example would be beneficial to them in that sense.
1: So Helm's succinct. Definition which is going to come out over the next two to three months as we are revamping our communications. And we are actually now at a point where we are coming out of stealth into that space where we can demonstrate what we are talking about, right? Like mm-hmm. having to show our work, like we've shown the talk, now we have to show the work. So we are an all in one advisory for change makers.
2: Mm-hmm
1: all-in-one advisory for change makers. So advisory, it entails that we will provide advisory support and not execution support. But the advice we provide will be informing the execution. Hmm. Because many organizations don't have second tier leadership, don't have processes and systems that kind of are a little more modern, a little more well-resourced because understand the impact domain and social entrepreneurship and many of these organizations are not well-equipped, are not well-staffed. There are people who come from career prospects and there are people who do it from a lifetime employee Mm. and there's always a divide. True, People are crossing over because they either want to build up a master's, uh, build up a a CV to go for masters or like there is some kind of like you know break I just want to take a break and like there's no seriousness and when they come there are some professional agency setups there are professional organizations in the impact domain love them they do great work but they're very top elitist
2: Mm.
1: you'll find that also there The ones who work at the grassroots are usually where the work is the most satisfying, most meaningful. But Mm. things move informally. Mm. Things move slowly there. So you have to taste all the different realities because you need corporate funding, which Mm. comes from the top. You need government funding, which comes from the lobby. You need to write a grant, which is coming from a foundation or one of these sources. And then you need to design a project with an implementation partner who's at the grassroots Hmm. to work with a community, which is at the grassroots. So you have to design this whole piece Hmm. every single time. True. A social enterprise model. This is a development approach. This Hmm. is a development pipeline. There is a whole model on the social enterprise front where you're, you've got a community of producers from the grassroots. You mm-hmm. take their product, you value add, you help them value add then mm-hmm. you sell it in market under a brand. Mm-hmm. That's a social enterprise model. There is also another NGO sister concern that is kind of working with this group
2: mm-hmm.
1: and supporting them, helping them build their capacity, helping them with education, with health with access to finance, with access to doing their business better, kind of like influencing them and supporting them. Mm. This whole activity in which this production is happening is happening at a village level. Mm. The village falls under something called Gram Panchayat. A Gram Panchayat is a governance body which has been disempowered. Like in the sense it has not realized its power. Local governance has not manifested. I mean, by design, by ignorance, by uh, like, let's not attribute, but let's just say that it is not yet manifested its potential. Hmm. So here's an organization called anode Governance Lab, which will work with this uh, governance structure of Gram Panchayat, support the Gram Panchayat leaders to make better decisions. Hmm. Those decisions will be further absorbed and carried by the villagers, supported by the NGOs, this whole project financed by the CSR. Mm. This is the design of it. Nice. Their relationship dynamics, the project management of it, the measurement and the evaluation and the efficacy of it. One is a charity or like capacity building development model the mm-hmm. other is a local enterprise model, which is that you build a capacity so that they can do the enterprise. And once they do the enterprise and earn resources, you can then further add further capacity. And then basically this is a cycle nice. that continues.
0: And that's where Helm of comes into play, right?
1: I, I assume. So I mean... we, we've identified these designs. We've apprenticed with an organization called Chaya. In fact, I'm at my promoter's home right now in Pune. Mm. Um, And her name is Samantha Coat, and she runs an organization called Chaya LLP. So we work in very close capacities, like even the word partner and collaborator doesn't go far enough. Mm. Because I'm truly apprenticing with her and the legacy of their work is spreading over 40 years. The average age in her organization is 35 years of experience. Thirty-five years of experience. experience not, oh wow! Of experience, <laughs> yeah. right? So they are very senior legacy organization. So Ooh. working in that kind of orchestration, right? You can't buy relationships in that sense. True. That's it. Yeah. The relationships that, like you know, uh, a very powerful word is the arc of time. Yeah. Right. The senior generation that has seen the arc of time. I know for a fact now people who are above like 60s and above are usually the ones that I get along with. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now probably people in their 70s are the ones that I get along with. (laughs) Skipping my parent generation. (laughs) And this, like maybe there's a generation after us, the Gen Zs, who might not get along with me. But I'd probably do better with Gen Unlimited or whatever the hell comes after Gen Z. Right there is a generation correlation which I mean these are just
0: observations right maybe like the, said, maybe the value experimental yeah, maybe the value right. systems match in some sort of unconscious way right in in this intergenerational way and I think that also comes into that thing you said about you know understanding stakeholder values and and uh, and developing you know individual partnerships that can translate into you know, uh, professional opportunities. And I think, yeah, understanding what values are most important to you, I think comes down to um, actually can influence the work you do on a day-to-day basis. But you, you know, very succinctly actually explained that sort of development model, Kiran. You know, I'm, I I want to be mindful of time. I know you have to, you know, move, go. You have about five minutes, five to 10 minutes more, Kiran? Yeah, we yeah. And I think this conversation can actually go on for you know quite some time because I think Kiran's just mentioned one organization's work, but there are more than ten or so organizations that he works with in uh, helm of Eight and it's it's a team, not just Kiran. It's, He's got it's more. Yeah, it's more than them. It's what is the number at right now, Kiran?
1: Formally and informally, right? Like I mean, there are relations that we've nurtured over the course of time. Yeah. The moat that we have honestly why people cannot replicate us in the same way other relationships. True. Is the awareness and the understanding yeah. of values of these people and the trust with these people. Yeah. So there are maybe over 25, 30 partners wow. that we have, wow. out of which we are actively working with maybe four okay. commercially. Correct. Another further 10 or 12 of them are supported on a periodic basis. It can be once a week. Yeah. It can be once a fortnight, once a month, once in a quarter, mm-hmm. but not less than a quarter. Like Within a within a three-month period, I will always ring all my partners and just chat with them, see so where
0: sure, they are. I'm sure you're on a lot of Zoom calls and virtual meetings now, right? I think you phone just just on the phone (laughs) pick up the phone pick up the phone and just call yeah Yeah. i mean because a
1: lot of these people are lifetime commit committed champions of the work that they do true and like i was asking my mom recently i was like mom tell me why why is this happening um i look left and there is this person with this legacy and this work i look right and there is this person with this work someone who's doing that work in kashmir someone who's doing this work how are they coming to me? How am I going to them? What is happening now? The reality itself is uh, providing new additions to itself. Like, I'm just holding this space. I'm just like a gardener. Right. (laughs) I'm not the
0: one, I'm not the plant growing. I'm the gardener. Yeah. And and I think, I think that's a, that's a positive note to, you know, maybe Transition into this final question, Kiran. You know, I'm so sorry to hold you there, but I want to make sure we get this these last thoughts in about. You know, like I mean, we've spoken about your professional, your educational journey in um, a small way, because I think there's always so much more that we can't cover in, in such a small conversation. But what were some um, you know books and films that impacted you um, along the way that you know that that really influenced your thinking? Because I know you. You read a lot. Yeah.
1: This would be fun. I think someone would probably profile me as ultra radical,
0: needs to be eliminated if you I can, say no, me for that. Again, you can choose. You can choose to talk about books that you think you know would. But then I, I would, I would, you know, want to know where you're thinking. What is it in? Right, for, right.
1: So books-wise, I think the works of Edward De Bono, mm-hmm. some of his early works like lateral thinking was really really powerful
0: and he's the person Um, that made the mind maps is that him no he's the thinking hats person right
1: but also the person whom i learned mind mapping from i think humanity has been doing like you're in a cave you're on the wall you're drawing things you're also mind mapping there like you're looking at your reality general sunzu was like designing his army tactics like obviously that's also mind mapping that reality right so I think it's that's the thing, no one owns an imagination. True. But these tools and IPs and all of these, I think, are more self validation grandiose. It's great to proliferate, maybe to some extent. But, uh, anyways, um, Edward de Bono was one. Uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti Freedom from the Known is mm. a book that was so beautiful because Jiddu Krishnamurti, like, because I'm dealing with such powerful thought schools and logics, right? How do you center yourself? How do you bring yourself back to center? How do you like, you know, like you, you go to a fragrance store, you smell some fragrances, then your nostrils are compromised. So you need to l- smell the coffee to kind of open up your nostrils again and then come back. So Jiddu Krishnamurthy is the coffee. Mm. <laughs>
2: okay,
1: Who okay. helps you appreciate the fragrances better. Right? Mm. So uh, JK's book, Freedom from the Known is extremely powerful. Okay. Then um, Viktor Frankl, Man in Search for Meaning.
0: Nice. That's a great book. Yeah, I read that. Yeah.
1: It's not just that. I mean, the logotherapy and the works of meaning of life and purpose. Like, I think I'm living a purposeful life. Hmm. At least as for my view. I can speak for my truth. But um, the book has the foundations of that. Nice. And when you go further into logotherapy and the works of Viktor Frankl, you will find like these triads of how three things are connected together, which is like in spirituality, I learned that it was the breath, the body and the mind that are connected. If you work on any one of them, you can influence the other. On another front, in Viktor Frankl, the boredom triad, right? You should definitely look that up it basically talks about how because of boredom addiction uh, depression and aggression
0: hmm.
1: addiction depression and aggression all happen because of boredom hmm.
0: did he mention that in that book as well in man search from... i
1: think it was in the next one i think it was okay. the next one. so i mean th- th- that's like it's i'm i'm giving these as like a directional things like go down a rabbit hole yeah. Till you reach the different
0: thought worlds of these guys. Yeah. I think one book is often not enough. What about films? <laughs> uh, documentaries, films? films? Um,
1: I think there were, there are some of those more, I guess, like Nayak
0: was one when I saw very young. Was is this the really Anil Kapoor film? Anil Kapoor. Where the Kapoor. citizen gets to become like a leader yeah. for a day, right? Yeah.
1: And then I think Nasiruddin, some of his art films. There was this really um, powerful one, um, which was around the Gandhi riots. Uh, sorry, Godra riots um, mm. in in Gandhi Nagar. Um, I forget its name right now. Um, okay, so that's really an artist. Named, really, yeah, yeah. Art- artist, in the sense, like it was, it was a based around the communal violence that happened sure. in Gandhi Nagar and what societies went through or what people went through and like how humans into animals hmm. and how a goat became muslim and how like you know today a cow has become hindu right?
0: hmm. like we've given religion to animals yeah abomination to nature right so you can you can so, actually send me a link and i can put that in the chat skirin like even even if there sure. are other like artists or thinkers that, you know, have influenced your thinking over the years. You can even share maybe a word or two about them. Um, it doesn't have to be in the uh, textual or video form. You know, it could be. But visual. one of
1: the biggest, bigger influences is actually music. Hmm. Like, because I think the best music produces the most profound silence in you. Hmm. It's beautifully put, yeah. And that to be able to hold you in both the sound and the absence of sound, um, and what it does to your neural pathways. Like, I mean, if you're feeling emotionally overwhelmed, then like if you were able to change your mood, in, mood lighting, put on some candles, put on some jazz, uh, you know, put some scented aroma sticks around, uh, you can shape your you can change your reality like you yeah. might just be having resonant energy coming from somewhere yeah. so I mean it's a blend now today you know like movies there are so many the network which talks about thought control back in 50, 60s or 70s and that powerful speech in that boardroom to this guy and his life is just like blown um, where like you know just how, how society today is controlled. Yep. I think a lot of, lot of work around that. Yep. And matrix, matrix man.
0: percent. That's <laughs> obviously matrix. a classic, but Kiran, you know, I think it's, I think it's a good time to, you know, wrap this up because I know you have to head out now, but thank you, Kiran. Thank you so much for making time for this again, for the viewers listening in and watching this video. Um, I, I highly recommend uh, looking up the website, following Kiran on uh, social media to understand his work, or maybe even just reaching out to him if you are an organization uh, that is in the social impact space uh, that would like to collaborate and work with Helma Fate, Because I really think there is a lot of value that Kiran and his team can bring to your organization. And for the people tuning in, uh, you know, stay tuned for more such conversations um, in the coming weeks. And hopefully we have uh, another conversation like this for you in the coming uh, weeks and until then
1: like comment subscribe like comment subscribe like comment subscribe which I, <laughs> I hope will happen
0: so thanks Kiran thank you yeah. so much
1: thanks Abhishek
2: look cool. forward perfect